You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today I'll be reading And This Your Living Kiss by Opal Bullets. Chapter 4. The rating for this fic is mature. The pertinent tags for this fic include Poetry, Writer Dean Winchester, Professor Castiel, John Winchester's A-plus parenting, Mentions of past prostitution, Mentions of cancer, Angst with a happy ending. Chapter 4. Dinner at Missouri's. Castiel loved his quiet life at Maple Hills. It was nothing like the quiet of his childhood home, which was born from fearful obedience. It was the quiet of a life finally settled onto the track it needed to be. He had the satisfaction of a secure job now that a college had at last agreed to tenure him. Missouri had a lot to do with that, he was sure. A cozy little apartment above the coffee shop in the town center. Enough literature to keep his mind active and his soul free. And best of all, colleagues he respected and friends he cherished. No, there didn't seem to be romance or family in his future anytime soon. A small town did tend to put a damper on those prospects. Even one so beautiful as Maple Hills. But he much preferred his solitude to the possibility of settling for the wrong person. Not when he knew so intimately what it was like growing up with people who stayed together for all the wrong reasons. Besides, he always had a great deal of grading to do during the school year. And while it wasn't as cozy as his apartment, Castiel liked his office, too. The shelves filled with books, the little plants he bought from the flower shop in town, Claire's Bee. The way he could turn around in his chair and look out his window onto campus and the old stone chapel sitting on top of the hill. It was a good thing, because his lower-level classes were always too full. His own fault, of course. Students would beg him to authorize overrides when the courses were filled to capacity. And if they wanted his instruction badly enough to bother, who was he to say no? Castiel was sure this was a factor in other colleges refusing him tenure, but he couldn't regret it. Nevertheless, it was a relief when he could walk into an upper-level class, usually only populated by those with a very strong interest in the subject. His 20th century class was already his favorite this semester. The discussion was always lively, 
even though some students were a little slower than others at sloughing off the narrow ways of looking at literature they'd learned in grade school. They were all very bright and brought good perspectives. And then there was Dean. Taciturn, unexpected and clearly intelligent, now that he was speaking up a little more during class. Tall, mysterious, and very handsome, his mind supplied. He brushed the thought away. Dean's response papers were improving by leaps and bounds, but Castiel was still no closer to figuring out where he'd come from and why he'd ended up here. Missouri wasn't being very forthcoming no matter how he asked questions, when usually she was very talkative indeed. It only made Castiel want to know more. At least the class's first real papers were finally in, for which the students had to pick any poet from the era of the first unit whether they discussed them or not. And Castiel could glean whatever he could from the writing of them. Most of the ones he'd read so far were a bit clunky, probably from being out of practice over the summer. But a couple were very well written, if not somewhere on the road to being groundbreaking in thought, and that Kevin Tran had an interesting explication of a couple of Noguchi's poems. But now, finally, Dean Winchester's. While Castiel always tried to grade as objectively as possible, he couldn't help but be very, very curious. It had taken all of his willpower not to shuffle through the stack and read his first. It was titled, World War I and Tolkien. It was a terribly vague title, and Tolkien, was he from that era? Castiel had never gotten around to reading him. Tolkien wrote some great literature in his time. It began rather pointedly, Castiel thought. But he didn't just write prose. He wrote good poetry, too. Ah, a rebuttal to their first week of class. Castiel had no feelings for the author either way, except for acknowledging his popularity after the movies came out. Hadn't gotten around to seeing the movies, for that matter. If he hadn't maybe let the debate about what constituted real literature get a little out of hand that day. He did his best never to take sides in class discussion where it wasn't necessary. But in this case, his judgment had fallen short. Castiel felt guilty. It was probably already so hard for Dean to carve out his own space in the classroom. As Dean's paper went on, with very colloquial phrasing and entirely too many run-on sentences, he did quote some poetry that Castiel found very beautiful. Tolkien had an excellent handle of all the poetic elements, and given the evidence, he was convinced of Dean's argument that he was a master of his craft. There was no denying that Dean also made an impassioned defense of where poetry showed up in the modern day and Castiel was reminded of Dean's comment about Eliot. We should think about it the other way around. And he dropped his pen. God, he was a fool. For as long as he'd been writing articles about Jack Allen, he'd spent a lot of time defending his favorite poet from criticism, particularly about all the popular references in his work. They were far more lowbrow than lasting sources like the Bible or Shakespeare. A pompous colleague of his, a Scot named Fergus Crowley, who was well-revered in his position at Harvard, was a major proponent of the argument that it lessened any impact Jack Allen would have in the future. But Cass's rebuttal was always about how it would stand the test of time despite those references. Why had he never defended Jack Allen in a way that said his poetry would live on because of them? If Castiel could argue that rock music references gave the poems depth— and if those songs had references to literature like Lord of the Rings in them as Dean had pointed out about Led Zeppelin in their class, 
that would in turn lend Alan's poems a further layer of depth. Wait, maybe there are Tolkien references, too, that he had missed? He would have remembered if another person had mentioned them in an article about Jack Allen. He'd know, because he'd read all of the scholarship about him at least twice. But still, there wasn't much of it. Tolkien's characters became subversive figures in the 60s, said Dean's paper. Just like rock musicians are often considered subversive figures. Allen himself, if his poetry is as autobiographical as Castiel believed, was a man on the margins of society, too. Had Castiel been living inside his academic bubble for too long? He was halfway through trying to figure out if the school library carried a copy of Lord of the Rings on their poorly designed mobile site when his phone nearly vibrated out of his hand. Jody's name flashed on the screen. He opened the call. Hello? Hey, Cass, you got a minute? Jody, head of campus security, sounded like she was outside, as there was some drunken hooting in the background. No doubt some students getting an early start to the weekend. The campus wasn't dry, so Jody and her staff had to keep a weather eye out for underage and binge drinking. Yes, what do you need? Just saw Max from the gay club? He said you were going to kick off this year's Queer Heroes campaign? Castiel held in a sigh through long practice. Gay Club was the nickname for the college's LGBTQIA alliance. And no matter what he did, the name stuck for years now. Seeing as it was a student-run organization, his suggestions didn't hold much clout anyway. Jody didn't mind, and her wife, the county sheriff Donna, thought it was funny. The kids always took it up with glee whenever they joined, learning it from the upperclassmen. Yes, they've asked me to do a presentation on queer history and poetry. The Queer Heroes campaign had been started last year by Max and Siobhan, in which they solicited professors to put together presentations reinstating the overlooked queer identities of famous historical figures. It was also open to the public. Good. Let me know when there's a date and Donna and I will try to make it. She also wanted me to ask if you're going to be at Missouri's tomorrow night. All the girls are going to be there, too. I think she wants patience to meet them. The girls meant the three young women that she and her wife had fostered as late teenagers. All of them had stuck around Maple Hills after they turned 18. Alex was studying for a nursing degree in the next town over while working as a receptionist at the college clinic. And Claire and Kaya were both working on the MHC custodial staff while they figured out where they wanted to go in life. Jody and Donna were wonderful and supported them even though it was taking them a little while to heal and understand themselves. Goodness knows Castiel hadn't had it figured out in his early twenties either. He was very fond of Claire in particular, as she was the one usually in charge of cleaning up Shirley and often lifted books from the professor's offices. Since she returned them, however, no one said anything. He suspected she just did it to him in Missouri anyway. It would be good to see her at dinner and coax her thoughts about Vonnegut's short stories, the latest blank space on his shelf. He eyed the spot, smiling. Yes, I'll be there, he said. If he was going to be slacking tomorrow night, he was going to have to finish his grading now. Reluctantly, he set his new Jack Allen article ideas aside and got back to Dean's paper.
The next night, Missouri called to ask if he could pick up a couple more groceries on the way to her house, which of course he was happy to do. So he kept his jeans on, but at least switched to a nice button-up instead of a t-shirt. Then he packed some more grating in his bag, just in case, and went down the outdoor back stairwell, descending into the delicious smells of coffee and baked goods from the early evening coffee shop rush. The stairs dropped him off on the bank of the small river running through the town, a couple buildings upstream of the waterfall. He took a moment to appreciate the soothing noise and water turned to golden in the late sun, and the sound of laughter as students crossed the old brick bridge, headed into town for some weekend jaunt. The corner store was only a block away, and he was able to make quick work of Missouri's list. A four-pack of chicken breasts, another bag of potatoes, a couple more blocks of sharp Vermont cheddar. Missouri's house wasn't more than a 15-minute walk from there, so it was no trouble carrying the goods with him, his satchel slung across his shoulder. He climbed up and down the sidewalks and breathed in the last of the year's flowers, admiring the tall trees that were just starting to blush into their fall colors. Missouri's house was a large one, painted a very pale purple, almost mauve. Her yard was nicely landscaped, but not in that precise way of magazines in the neighborhoods of Castiel's youth. There was still room for character there, and growth, and delightfully bushy bushes. Cass made quick work of the brick walk up to the front door. He knocked, but turned the handle right away, knowing it would be open. Sure enough, hello, Castiel. Missouri called from the back of the house. Cass set down his bags in the foyer and untied his sneakers, setting them neatly on the mats placed there for the purpose. There was a wide staircase leading upstairs to the right, and a sunken living room to the left with matching blue and white furniture, lined with bookcases, of course, like any good home for a doctor of English. But he walked past them to the kitchen and the dining room, where anyone who visited Missouri Mosley spent most of their time. The kitchen was enormous. She'd gotten it redone a few years prior, and the appliances still gleamed in their newness, the cupboards and cabinets a warm golden brown, and all the counters, including the large island with bar stools, were beautifully finished in quartz. The room was part of an open plan with the dining room, the shining jewel of the home. It was practically half a sunroom, with the far wall being floor-to-ceiling windows, complete with French doors that looked out onto the garden. Castile loved Missouri's garden, with its tiny winding path and little bird feeders and fountains tucked throughout. In fact, he's fairly certain it was after he'd gone off on a tangent about pollination during one of Missouri's dinners that inspired Claire to buy his little bee. She claimed she found it in the trash, but he was in the local flower shop enough to know where it really came from. Thanks, honey, said Missouri when he set his bags on the island. She looked absolutely in her element and was already dressed for the hosting, a silver and topaz brooch glittering on her breast. I'm just about to get started. Would you like help? He asked, as he always did, even though he knew the answer. She didn't disappoint. If I need help burning the house down, I'll let you know. They shared a chuckle. Then she nodded her head toward the dining room table. I'm sure patients would appreciate some company. Castiel had met patients periodically over the few years that he'd been teaching at Maple Hills College, and she'd always struck him as being just as bright and perhaps more importantly kind as her grandmother. It was still surprising to see that she had spread out her things over half the enormous table, doing homework on a Saturday night. 
Ruefully, he recognized his own freshman year and her work ethic. And maybe he hadn't quite grown out of it, considering the grading he'd brought with him. How are you, Patience? She looked up from her notes and smiled. Hi, Cass. I'm good. How have your first few weeks been? He set his satchel on the table and opened it, figuring he may as well claim the other half for himself. Busy. And I thought high school was work. She didn't seem put out about it, though. I joined the rugby team and the rowing team. Ah, said Cass. That explained why she was doing homework now and why Missouri was worried about her granddaughter making time for friends. If she had to be at rowing practice at 4 a.m. every weekday morning. Oh, to have the energy of the young. And your classes? I really like my psych class. Dr. Barnes is awesome. I'm thinking I might go into it. You have some time yet, Missouri said from the kitchen. She was peeling potatoes. Give yourself a semester before you commit. Patience rolled her eyes. You sound like Dad. I never said anything about political science, honey, she said. No, but it's not like you don't want me to get more into poetry. She turned back to Cass and leaned in conspiratorially. See, she likes the artsy, soul-searching part of the human psyche. Me? I'm more into the science of it. Castile hummed and thought at this statement, laying out his many pins in all colors of the rainbow. Red was so aggressive on the page. He liked grading in greens and oranges, blues and purples. Art and science do have a lot in common at the core of it, he said. How so? asked Patience, curious. You need determination, imagination, the willingness to spend years honing your craft. Still teaching after hours? came a bright voice. It's the weekend! Donna had arrived with Jody and Alex in tow. She was carrying two large white boxes which were likely holding untold riches for dessert, and Jody had a couple of bottles of wine tucked in her arms. Donna found some free space on the counter to set the boxes and hugged Missouri. Good to see ya, she said. You know academics can't stop talking shop, Missouri teased. She hugged Jody and Alex in turn. Now where are your other wayward daughters? You know them, said Jody in that fond, long-suffering tone she'd perfected since becoming a foster mom. Ever since Claire and Kaya got their own place, they operate on Claire and Kaya time. Need some help? Yes, Jody, if you wouldn't mind. Cass smiled and shook his head. Alex wandered over to the table. Patience sat up straight and gave an awkward wave. Hi. Hey, yourself. I'm Alex, she said. I work over at the clinic. Cass gracefully bowed out of the conversation, letting the girls get to know each other. He settled into reading his next paper, only looking up when Donna pat him on the shoulder and handed him a glass of white wine, his preference, and Alex a glass of red. The conversation got louder when she joined it, her exuberance lubricating the bumbling, getting-to-know-you stage Alex and Patience were working their way through. Cass briefly wished he'd had Donna as a friend back in his own college days though his brother Gabriel and cousin Balthazar had done their bit to help him socialize, he supposed. But they weren't always around when he could have used a tough friend to stand up for him before he'd quite learned how to do it for himself. Donna may be naturally blonde and sunny, but she also knew how to use it as a screen before she snuck up on you and delivered the metaphorical killing blow. 
much to Minnie Perp's chagrin. Jody, though, with her unapologetically short graying hair and no-nonsense demeanor, wore her well-earned toughness like a badge. Much to Minnie an underage drinking college student's chagrin. This is more food than usual, she said, working on cleaning and breading the chicken across from Missouri and her potatoes. I invited some last-minute additions, answered Missouri, her sweet voice layered with a hint of excitement that caused Castiel to look up. Who is it? he asked. She smiled to herself as she cut the potatoes into chunks and dropped them to a large pot full of water. You'll see. No sooner did she say it than the doorbell rang. It's open, she shouted over her shoulder. Castiel leaned back in his chair and peered down the hallway to the other side of the house. The knob turned and the front door opened a couple of tentative inches. Missouri? A man's voice. Castiel knew that voice. Come on in, Dean, she answered. Dean? Not Dean Winchester. But it was. Castiel watched, frozen as Dean walked in followed by a woman with long hair and a man even taller than Dean's considerable height. He was bending over an almost comical amount to hold the hand of a little boy. They were all casually dressed, jeans and flannels and sturdy boots they set about taking off. Missouri washed her hands, and still holding a towel, she went over to greet them, converging together in the middle of the hallway. "'I'm so glad you all could make it,' she said. "'Sam, it's been too long.' She hugged the tall man. Sorry, Missouri. You know how life is. He hugged her back. And this can't be Jack, she exclaimed, clearly for the little boy's benefit. My, how you've grown. The little boy puffed out his chest. I'm with the big kids at school, not in the baby room. Good on you, Missouri approved. She signed something to the woman before they hugged, too and she ushered the three of them ahead of her into the kitchen, Dean a silent shadow at her back. Everyone, this is Sam and Eileen Winchester, and their son, Jack. They live in the area. And this, she reached behind and tugged Dean by the arm to the front, is Sam's older brother, Dean, who recently moved here. Winchesters, this is Jody Mills and Donna Hanscom, one of their daughters, Alex, and my granddaughter, Patience. Dean, you know Dr. Novak. Uh, hey, Cass, said Dean, rubbing the back of his neck. Hello, Dean, he answered on autopilot. He was still frozen at seeing the student he'd been thinking of so much in the past couple of days right in front of him, as if he'd conjured him there. I hope you regulars don't mind that I invited my old friends. I knew the brothers Winchester when they were still boys, back when we all lived in South Dakota. Wine? Missouri offered them as an aside. They nodded. She took three more wine glasses from one of her cupboards. I thought you all might have a few things in common. Yes, I know you, said Donna. She got up from the dining table and stood in front of Eileen, planting her hands on her hips in satisfaction. We've run into each other once or twice on the job. How are you? Eileen smiled. It's good to see you under happier circumstances, Sheriff. Oh, no, just Donna, please. She's a caseworker for the kids, Jodes, she added to her wife. No kidding, said Jody, taking interest. Apparently Sam was somehow involved in the social system, too, because the two couples immediately fell into conversation. 
Dean sidled further into the kitchen, taking Jody's place as Missouri's helper. He didn't look over to the dining table. Castiel tamped down his disappointment. Castiel, Alex, and Patience looked down to find that Jack had wandered over. He was wearing a pale blue shirt with a teddy bear on it declaring, I love hugs. He grinned up at them, fearless. A precocious child, clearly. Hello, said Castiel. I like you, Jack beamed. He signed when he spoke. Then he turned to Alex. Do you like dogs? Yes, I do, said Alex. Sorry, but I don't know how to sign. Is that okay? It's okay, said Jack. Mama says sign with new people. They might like signs. I'm three. Do you like Moana? Alex stifled a giggle behind her hand. She's cool. Cool, echoed Jack, still beaming. He tottered past Alex towards Patience and started trying to climb onto the chair next to her. Her eyes grew wide and she turned to Castiel and Alex in panic. I'm an only child, she whisper shouted. What do I do? Alex laughed for real this time and easily reached down to help lift Jack into the chair. Kids are fine. Just treat them like real people. Castiel smiled, torn between melting and laughter as Alex and Patience fielded more questions about Moana, dinosaurs, Maui, dinosaurs, hey hey, trucks, and dinosaurs. Patience relaxed by increments, though not quite all the way. Good smells were beginning to waft up from the kitchen, and loud, tipsy laughter filled the room. Castiel turned back to his grating, sipping his wine, and content to be surrounded by the easy fellowship Missouri fostered in her home. He got through a whole paper before some bickering caught his attention in the kitchen. "'But I can help more,' said Dean. "'And I said you're a guest. Take your damn wine and sit down,' said Missouri. "'Yes, ma'am.' He capitulated. He picked up his large wine glass, looking a little awkward with it, and skirted the island where the couples were still holding court. He crossed into the dining room and walked over to look out of the windows at the back garden. Beautiful, isn't it? Castiel asked. Dean turned. Yeah, it's, uh, real nice. He gestured at the closest chair, to Cass's right. Okay, if I sit. By all means. He pulled the chair out pretty far so he could sit to the side and stretch out his legs. He rested the elbow close to Castiel on the table, hand held loosely around the stem of his glass. Grading? he asked. Always, Castiel smiled. Well, I'd put it away if I were you. Dean nodded toward his nephew. You'll become a college professor cliche if you spill wine all over everything, and trust me, with a three-year-old around, something always spills. Point taken. He began to tidy up his papers and pens, looking at Dean out of the corner of his eye. If Missouri wouldn't tell him anything, maybe Dean was comfortable enough with him now that he would do it himself. So, you moved here recently? Yep, he said. Wanted to be close to my overgrown moose of a brother and his family. Are you originally from South Dakota? He hauled a satchel into his lap and started tucking everything away. Kansas, originally. Hey, is that my paper? Castiel looked down, and sure enough, the stack of his 20th century course papers were clearly visible. Dean's he'd left on top, mostly to remind himself to make notes about the relationship between Jack Allen and culture. Would you like to see it now? 
Dean shrugged and then nodded. His shoulders were tense. Castiel pulled it out and handed it over. It was only at the moment Dean's eyes scanned his notes he realized he may not have picked his green pen for his paper at random. It had always been his favorite color to use since it reminded him of his plants. But in this case... Dean tossed the paper back onto the table after having read only halfway down the second page and took a strong gulp of his red wine. Should I drop out now and save you the trouble? What do you mean? The paper is a pass, said Castiel. Based on your notes, you want me to rewrite it anyway. He clenched his jaw, scowling down at the paper. Just like when they were discussing whether or not Dean should take the class, the man was a poor judge of his own abilities. Castiel cursed whatever teachers he'd had in the past who hadn't nurtured his gifts. How many other adults were walking around these days erroneously thinking they were incapable because of a poor school experience? If I had to make a guess, he said, I'd say you wrote that in one sitting and didn't look it over again. Am I wrong? Dean's eyes flicked up to him and then back down again, a tacit admission of guilt. Gently, he put his hand on top of the paper to redirect Dean's attention. Reluctantly, his student lifted his gaze back up. It's a first draft, Dean, said Castiel. Not the end of the world. If you want to improve, you have to revise the paper. There are some very, very good ideas in this. He paused. You also might want to brush up on your MLA. Dean was startled into a laugh. Never thought I'd need to know that bullshit again. It's not glamorous, but it's very useful bullshit. Dean dropped his head into his arm, laughing anew. Castiel wasn't sure what he'd said to warrant it, but he could feel himself warming from the inside out. Dean normally looked so grim sitting in the back of his classroom. It was nice to see his shoulders finally relax and smile lighting his face. In the few weeks since they'd stood next to each other, Cass had forgotten that Dean's face was splashed with freckles thicker over his nose and cheeks like constellations in a clear midnight sky. How could he have forgotten that? Uh-oh, Cassie, a voice said in his head. Mischievous and gleeful was schadenfreude. A perfect imitation of Gabriel. He finished off his wine to flush it out. Soon after, Missouri called all hands on deck to set the table, and then Claire and Kaya made their fashionably late arrival to add to the chaos. Yo, Kaya, Alex greeted. Biker Barbie. Claire made a face at her, strutting across the kitchen in her punk alternative clothes and swiping a bottle of wine along the way. I'll take it as a compliment, I guess. Castiel. She acknowledged him. How are you, Claire? Kaya. Peachy, Claire answered with her usual attitude. She sat down at the table in her preferred spot and dragged a set place across the table for herself. We're good, said Kaya. She was less outwardly rude than Claire, but much like Donna had cultivated a soft smokescreen to hide behind. Castiel knew her tongue could be very sharp indeed, if she felt the situation warranted it. She sat next to her girlfriend. Claire poured Kaya a glass first, then one for herself. Then she spotted Patience setting one of the last places at the table, having cleared away her homework. She had gotten herself a glass of water. Hey, want some wine? asked Claire. Patience brightened, opening her mouth when No, no 
came both Missouri and Jody's voices from the kitchen. Patience sighed. Guess not. You must be Claire and Kaya. Howdy. Claire winked at her. Cass, who are the old guys? She pointed at Sam and Dean, who were helpfully getting dishes down from a high cupboard. Kaya rolled her eyes and grabbed her hand, clasping it between her own on the top of the table. If Sam and Dean are old, Castiel answered, that makes me ancient. If the shoe fits, she said smugly. Who are Sam and Dean? Introductions were made again, Donna excitedly telling her foster daughters that Jack had also been adopted out of the foster system, which seemed to let the girls' hackles down a bit. That also explained why Missouri thought that all the adults would have a lot to talk about. Dinner was a noisy affair, full of bickering between the girls, indulging Jack's constant non-sequiturs, and Claire and Dean getting into a heated discussion about Vonnegut when Castiel had, somewhat innocently, he thought, brought it up. To Castiel's surprise, Dean didn't seem to be taking any real offense, as he sometimes did in class. It turned out that he and Claire knew how to speak the same biting language, and if the way Kaya fell laughing into Claire's shoulder instead of defending her was any indication, the blonde girl was enjoying the argument thoroughly. Did Dean, and by extension Sam, come from a similar walk of life as the girls? Castiel wondered. The conversation on their side of the table soon devolved into a series of pop culture references he couldn't always understand. "'Who hasn't heard of Caddyshack?' Dean exclaimed. "'I'm done with your whole generation.' Claire smirked like she'd won some kind of victory, face flushing with wine and a happiness which is all too often foreign for her. At the same time, Kaya, Alex, and Patience were just about losing it. Then, to Castiel's surprise, Dean turned his head slightly and winked so that only Castiel could see, and oh. Oh. Dean had been working them up on purpose. Dean had seen the girl's edges, especially Claire's pointed, jagged chips like spikes on her shoulders, and he'd found a way to make them laugh. In one hour, Dean had achieved Claire's grudging approval, when it had taken weeks for Castiel to even get her to hold a conversation with him. My God, who was this man, lips curling around his glass of wine, nudging his sister-in-law good-naturedly so he could sign her a joke that made her roll her eyes, though a smile lurked in the corner of her mouth. This man who was happy to help Missouri out in the kitchen, who loved his family so much he moved across the country to be closer to them. Castiel wished so much in that moment he had met Dean in other circumstances and wasn't bound to the distance absolutely necessary between teacher and student that it wasn't just his to have the silent Dean, thoughtful and troubled and made unhappy by Castiel's remarks, but this Dean, too, the one who laughed with his whole body and made dinosaur noises with his nephew and ate Donna's pie with such gusto that her smile hadn't fallen away since. He stood and went to the kitchen sink, taking his empty plate and half-full glass of wine, and poured the rest down the drain. Castiel was well below his limit for a safe walk home, but he'd had enough of indulging in dangerous thoughts. For the next few months, it was imperative that he treat Dean like any other student. His duty as a professor demanded it. His movement had caused the others to stir from the table. The adults were scraping back their chairs and stacking plates. Alex opened the French doors and followed Jack outside as he shrieked in delight, chasing fireflies around the garden. When Dean got up to help in the kitchen, too, Cass kept his distance by seeking out Sam and Eileen, 
still at the table, and cultivating a conversation with them. They were as kind and intelligent as Dean had tonight proved himself to be, though they were perhaps quieter about it. Stanford, Castiel confirmed when Sam mentioned it. He was dying to know why Sam had gone to a world-class university and Dean had decided only on a GED, but he was beginning to understand that maybe the less he knew about Dean, the better. I know several colleagues from there. Academia is a small world, and literature professors who like poetry more so. Yeah, I took a couple of lit courses. The only one I really remember is the one I took with Dick Roman, because he was, uh, well... He ran his fingers through his long hair. Uh, Dick? Cass supplied. Yes, I've met him at a conference or two. Exactly, said Sam, laughing. And he really loved Ayn Rand. The night drew on, soft and ever so slightly chilly in the early New England fall. Jack soon crashed, the energy he'd gained from a couple of bites of pie all expended on the fireflies. Alex gently led him back inside the house, and in a flash, Dean was there, picking him up and smiling as the child rubbed his eyes. It was exceptionally cute. Tired, buddy? he asked. Jack nodded and buried his face in Dean's shoulder. Cass ripped his gaze away. I should get going, he announced. This was met with a chorus of protests from the adults, which turned into a rueful agreement. We've got some driving to do, acknowledged Eileen. Relieved, Castiel made his escape with social graces intact. But not before he was forced to agree with everyone that the night had been fun, and when was the date for his queer heroes talk again? And should they meet for dinner afterward, since the Winchesters thought they might make the drive up for it?
Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.